Hey, hey, crew. Welcome to The Rev Up, uh, the podcast where we talk all things revenue growth uh, and try and have a little fun along the way. I'm your host, Ben Shipley, uh, Chief Growth Officer at Trust the Process. Uh, Trust the Process uh, helps businesses systemize, automate, and delegate their way to success using core solutions like outsourcing uh, and technology, you know, things like CRM systems, virtual phones, websites. Um, I am uh, a marketing and sales nerd who has uh, hired a lot of people over the years, hired my first team member when I was 19 years old, uh, selling commission only in the main streets of Melbourne, uh, and spent years since running revenue generating teams on every continent generating you know hundreds of millions of dollars uh and working with some of the best in the business on the rev up uh we look at revenue growth through the lens of our own special brand uh little model uh where essentially we will focus on different areas of revenue growth uh, across time while we talk to special guests uh, sometimes I'll be on, on here on my own. Sometimes I'll be joined by uh, good friends, uh, former colleagues, uh, and some special guest uh, experts in particular areas. Mostly we're going to focus on uh, core areas of revenue generation uh, and revenue growth. Uh, we look at, at this process through uh, a five-step model. Uh, essentially, step number one, is about creating demand. You need to teach your audience how to win in the arena that your solution exists within. Step two, you need to capture that demand. You know, when the audience comes looking for you, make sure it's easy to find you. The goal ultimately is to beat Google. You don't want them going to Google, you want them coming directly to you. But in the case that they do go to Google, you also want to make sure that you're the first one that shows up. Uh, step three, convert that demand. This is the real sales specific element of the process. How do we take that interest and turn them into a customer? Step four, help your customer succeed. How do we make sure that they, we don't just make a sale, we don't just close a deal, we actually start a relationship. They land within our business in the best way possible that gives them the greatest chance to succeed. And once they've succeeded, how do we continue to expand that relationship and grow together? We will look through the lens of, of this particular model, but we will also talk about some other areas, you know, things like leadership, things like growing teams, hiring, firing, uh, training, onboarding, uh, mindset, and all of those other little bits and pieces that make up uh, growing a business, all right? And so today uh, I am joined by um, a close friend of mine, a guy I've worked with a number of times over the years. Uh, his name is Rick Theobald. Rick Theobald is the director and owner of uh, a company called SalesX. SalesX is a consultancy that helps businesses learn how to sell better. So he does help uh, a lot of businesses with the type of stuff that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, but Rick also comes with, uh, you know, over 20 years of experience of building sales teams uh, right across the globe, all continents, Um you know, Rick is really one of those people that is genuinely fascinated by uh, human psychology and the elements that make up making a decision. Um, he started his his career in banking. He'll obviously, we'll go into a fair bit of his story in this conversation, started his career in banking. We first met in the events and sponsorship world uh, and have worked together a number of times over the year. Rick is uh, incredibly knowledgeable uh, one of my favorite people to talk to on this subject. Uh, and so today we'll get deep into the weeds of uh, his experience and what he's found over the years that have helped him to build multiple sales teams whilst working with businesses, you know, that got to partner with um, some of the best in the game, people like Tony Robbins, people like Richard Branson, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, Tom Brady, Neil Rackham, all of these people. Um, and so we'll spend a lot of time doing that today. Uh, I hope it is lots of fun for you guys and, uh, you enjoy. Welcome to the show, Mr. Rick Theobald. Hello, Benjamin. How are you? <laughs> hey, my old friend doing very, very well. Thanks for joining us. Um, yeah, lots, lo I mean, we don't we don't have a huge amount of uh, listeners at this point, but um, but the people that are listening, 
some of them might not know who you are or how we know each other. Uh, we've known each other for quite a long time now. It's probably been well over a decade, maybe 12 years, something like that. It's 11 um, years in April I worked there. Oh, right. <laughs> nice. Uh, we worked together. We first started working together, yeah, 11 years ago at a company called IQPC in the like B2B uh, conferences, events space, uh, sponsorships, delegate acquisition, all that sort of stuff. Um, we first worked together there. Uh, I left to go to Singapore. You went over to another company called Success Resources, but we stayed in contact uh, and, uh, you know, joined some fantasy football leagues together and all various things across the years. Uh, you were one of the people, one of the few people that was uh, willing to brave the heat and come and visit us in Singapore. Uh, and when I got back to Australia, we obviously... Uh, spent a bit of time together and ended up working together again uh, at a company called Liquid Learning. So we've we've been uh, in and around each other either as friends or, or also working together for a very for a pretty long time now. Yeah, I, look, I think it's great that we we have known each other for so long. But I think the thing that keeps us together is a friendship born out of common uh, values, common ideas, things that you know you and I. Uh, we'll talk about work, we'll talk about sports, we'll talk about friendship, family, all of the things. Kids, yeah, the whole bit. Yeah, but I can always trust that the advice that I'm going to get from you is the kind of advice that I'm looking for because we we come we're cut from the similar cloth, shall we say. Yeah, yeah, and I would say it's the same the other way. It always helps to get advice from someone that you know will be happy for your successes and will genuinely mourn for you. Uh, and with you in your losses <laughs> makes a big difference. So um, I obviously know, and I will have uh, done a bio before we we brought you on, but um, why don't you just kind of let everyone know um, a little bit about kind of where you've come from, a bit of your story and, and uh, what you're up to now? Yeah, I'll give you the elevator pitch, which is uh, I started in black and white. Um, <laughs> yes. And- faxes and sheets of paper instead of a crm the blue sheets it is the classic sales story where i was a chemical engineer so oh classic you know you fell into sales because i was looking for part-time work really coming out of university i'd worked briefly in bars and uh, as a chef and sort of part-time work to try and pay for my way through college did a degree in chemical engineering but the first the first chance i'd had to I actually have a crack at chemical engineering. You realize it wasn't for me because it's not a people job. It's not a, a job where you get to interact with people. And, and I'm always fascinated with people, which is why I enjoyed working in bars. I, so I fell into sales, went through various different uh, early sales positions before really sort of getting tacked into banking. And I worked in mm-hmm. uh, private banking, worked my way up to being an investment manager for some ultra wealthy clients. So I, I used to work with soccer players and Spice Girls and people like that. And yeah, I thought I was the bee's knees at selling because I was getting great results. And that seemed to be the, the magic source as far as I was concerned. I got a traditional education in sales, should we say. Yeah, yeah. And But I left banking and went to try my hand at other things and very quickly realized that I wasn't maybe as good a salesperson as I thought I was, but maybe I just have one of the best products on the market. And when the oh, way that you sell your makes product, a difference, huh? Right. When the way that you sell your product is you go, ta-da, that's not necessarily a great process. And yep. I had to start learning again. So the great thing about the sales journey that I've been on, it's taking me to four different continents that I've worked on. I've worked in three different industries and really got to the place where I recognize that there is never a point where you're going to be bored with sales or sales leadership because there's always more to be learning. Having worked with lots of businesses, I've uh, run my own consultancy firm, uh, which is called SalesX. It's literally me and my time at the minute. So yeah, so it's, but SalesX is is, yep. is me to work with a few different a different sales processes to ones that I'm maybe used to. 
I'm used to maybe a more, as you say, and maybe a B2B traditional sort of consultative sales process. I've done a lot of cold calling in the past, but I've been able to work with companies that do quoting, people that do a lot of account management, that kind of thing. And, and again, yeah. for me, it's, it's the ability to take what I've learned over the years and put it into new situations, which is the exciting part for me. And the final thing- The varied I was, stuff, I, the, sorry to jump in there, the varied stuff, like when it comes to doing something like what you do at SalesX, helping other businesses to, to improve their sales, uh, their revenue generation. I think it really matters because like you have to have tried a bunch of stuff to know, um, to know how to know that different things work differently and you have to actually adapt your sales process and the way you a, a, approach your customers. But actually like that comes back, I think, to something you mentioned just before about like uh, loving to learn and always like trying to find the, find new information and more information. This is something I've um I've actually always admired about you. If I've even if I've never told you. <laughs> uh which I, I think um you know it relates to how we play fantasy football together. It relates to how you were, you know, playing um professional poker. Uh mm. it, it relates to how you've been as a sales leader, as a salesperson. It seems like um, it's very important to, to you to actually know what you're talking about, to spend the time to uncover the information and understand the information in order to know what you're talking about, rather than just kind of talking out, out your ass, I suppose. Where where do you think where do you think you pick that up? Like where does that come from? Because it's and noticeable to me. Yeah, well, thanks for saying that. First off, I appreciate that. I do think that's that's something that is it really important for me to get satisfaction out of what I do. I think the other thing that's really important is to be not afraid to experiment. That mm. I'll come to any sales situation knowing that there is a way to do this. If it's something that can be sold, there's a way to do it. And there's a and mm. I also always say there's never a right or wrong way to sell because if you can pick up the phone and say, hey, I've got a chance for us both to make a load of money, are you in? that's not going to be the most effective. <laughs> so, sounds sounds like you might be talking about a specific example there that we yeah, both know of. <laughs> it's it's a very aggressive style, but if it works, it works, right? <laughs> I always think that yeah. it's, so there's no right or wrong way to sell. It's about what's the most effective way to sell. And that's what I've always looked for. What's the way that I can break this down and understand what are the pieces? It's like, as a kid, did you ever have toys that you actually wanted to take apart and just see yeah. how it worked. Almost to the point that you'd break those toys because you weren't actually sure how to put them back together again. I was that yeah, kid. Yeah, 100%. I was that kid. Yep. And I, you know, as a salesperson, I always remember the, the one comment I had from one of my um, very early sales managers was the fact that he said, whatever commission structure I come up with, you seem to find a way to take it apart and work out where the shortcuts are. <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> That's what you want salespeople for. They'll always find what's the shortest distance between two points, right? They'll always find the straight line. Yes. And, but I think that's one of the things that I take into every job, every um, consultancy, every, every situation. I like to, to not just say, here's a challenge and there's one way to do it. It's to really just try lots of different things. It's, uh, if there's, if there's going to be one way to do something, try 25. You know, and absolutely, that best way is that comes back to a thing I, I try and tell people all the time, which is like listen to your sales team. Mm. Um, salespeople, m most of them, not all of them, of course, but a lot of them, uh, naturally will find the easiest way to do something or the most lucrative way for them personally to do something. Um, and if they're telling you over and over again that there's a problem or something is causing them to, to, find it more difficult or I apologize to my marketing friends, the leads are shit, right? If the sales team are saying this all the time, you can't just keep shutting them up because what you will find is that if there's, if the leads are great, the sales team are flying and there are no complaints about them. They just want to make things as easy as possible for themselves. And so when they're complaining about these things, it's, um, it's worth listening to. The last thing you want is a sales team that stops complaining about things because yeah. they've either given up trying to help or they don't care. Yeah. 
It's true. Mm. Yeah, but I think what you said before kind of flies into this. Like, I think we've all been in these situations where we are in organisations where there's sales teams and the sales teams have challenges, but they they don't get listened to that often. Have you have you found that much over the years? Well, I know I certainly know we've we, we've experienced it together at least. <laughs> I, I think that you, you, obviously you're singing to the choir with that one a little bit. Now I've taken on this other hat of being the, the sort of third party involved in the process. So I'm not on management side. I'm not on the sales team side. I'm just on trying to get the best results out of a situation. It's interesting to understand where that reticence can sometimes come from. And often it's just an inability to hear the important pieces or an unwillingness to hear the important pieces. Because as you say, sales teams are gonna complain, right? And oftentimes those complaints are just, sometimes they're just venting frustration about the fact that they work in an industry where if they're doing a great job, the majority of people still say no to them. Yep, yep. And sometimes it's just a recency thing, right? Like they heard someone say in their most recent conversation that it doesn't work for this reason, so therefore it doesn't work in all yeah. cases. Uh, there is a bit of that too. Definitely. But at the same time, you know, and you can challenge that. You can just have push back and say, is that a representative sample size? Can you give me 10 more examples of that being a problem? You know, then you can start to, again, it's always asking the questions with sales teams to try and get them to come to the answer in the same way it is, asking questions with prospects to get them to come to the answer rather than. Yeah, absolutely. You, you, you went from, um, you went from the events industry, right? Selling sponsorships with teams selling sponsorships, which are, you know, let's say notoriously hard to measure the results of and the effectiveness of for the people that you are selling those sponsorships to, Right. Um, or they don't try in many cases. Um, you went from that to success resources. I don't think it was called success resources at the time, EmpowerNet, right? EmpowerNet, which later became success resources, who actually represent in uh, in Australia and around the world people like Tony Robbins, Grant Cardone, Gary Vaynerchuk, Richard Branson. Uh, how about Tom fucking Brady? Yeah. You know, like uh, some pretty interesting people. But the stuff that you're selling is, it's pretty intangible. You know, things where what you're really selling to them is a future version of themselves, not yeah. a product, right? Yeah. Um, and so I, what I find, I find those sorts of products super interesting. And I'd really love to hear from, from you what you think really matters when it comes to selling those products yeah you know well i actually still i still need to say thank you because um working in paranet which then became success resources i'm still a shareholder in that business was a really exceptional experience for me and it was you who introduced me over to michael um funnily enough i'd already been because i was interested in i there was a time when I was when I was trying to relearn how to be a salesperson that I was very lucky that I was introduced to sales psychology, and sales psychology mm. was the the it was the light bulb moment for me when I recognised mm. there are fundamental human reasons behind why we do or don't make decisions, and that I could tap into that. That was that was incredible for me, and it it, it wasn't just the person you're talking to; it was you as well. Which so I'd been to see Tony Robbins to try and prove my mentality and my own psychology. What I didn't realize was when I saw them in London, the person who was running that event was Success Resources. So- Right, was, right, full cycle moment. Right? So, but when I went in there, I was very lucky as well because I got, I was given the, the, the trust to, to change things in that company. They had 20 people doing reading scripts at a time, just trying to push market, push sell, tickets that was the, the the model and i wanted to move away from that i wanted to get down to a small number of people who were very successful consultative salespeople who actually listened because my argument was no one wants to buy your product if if your marketing said buy three days being shouted at by an american giant right no one wants that right? <laughs> 
what they want was change. They wanted change in their life. They wanted to move, to solve mm. some problems and realize opportunities in their lives. And, and therefore you needed a different sales process. You needed to talk to people individually. I always used to say that the people who can do the maths in their head, the people who see what Tony is in the marketing or seeing clips of him, or in fact, any of the other speakers that we work with, if they, if they went, that's the person I'm looking for, that's the thing, then great. They tend to buy, but they tend to buy from the internet. <laughs> they mm, don't, straight off the website, right? Yeah. No one is sitting, waiting for you to ring them and, and say, oh my God, I'm glad you called. I've been waiting to buy a Tony Robbins ticket, right? It doesn't happen that way. It's definitely not how I bought it. Right. I was but, one of those internet people when I, the, the, every time that I went to um, Unleash the Power Within. Right. Because oh, you already so made So it's called UP, UPW, right? That's the right one. That's one of them. Yeah. Um, but what people are really buying, they're not buying the product. In fact, this is true of every, every sale that's made is no one's buying the product. Now, when the product is a Ferrari, it's very easy to, to point at the product and say, the Ferrari, that's what I'm buying. But you're still not. You're buying mm. what makes you feel. You're buying an emotional experience. You're buying whether it's... Status sc- in some cases? Yeah. yeah. With Look something like the Ferrari? It might just be the feeling mm. of going to corners very quickly. It might be, you know, look at me, Dad, I've made it. I d- and it might be a combination of all those things. But you're not buying the Ferrari because if you weren't allowed to drive the Ferrari or tell anyone you owned it, it doesn't matter what price I'm selling it to you at. <laughs> you're not going to be interested. Yeah. And it's, but it's the same with, the, with these sort of, as you call them, intangible products where people want the outcome. And what you have to do is you have to train your sales team to be able to, first off, have someone trust them to open up about the outcomes that they they want, the problems that are in their lives and the opportunities that they're missing out on. And to get them to, to, to not only trust you to have that open conversation, but also to agree to take action. Because that's yep. what sales is. My definition of sales is sales is where you get someone to take action that's in their own best interest but which they weren't going to take action on without your intervention. That's it. Yeah. You, you said something earlier that I want to go back to because it's just, um, it's a, I, th- I think everybody that is ever in sales leadership, especially one that goes into a new business and takes over as a sales leader, mm. um, they all have a few of these moments. You talked about like wanting to go from this big sort of, uh, spray and pray script, just hammer people um, type sales process to a smaller consultative, you know, professional sales org. You might not have an answer to this, but what tipped you off that that was the right thing to do? Like, where do you get the the belief and the confidence to go, this is what I need to do. This is the action I need to take. And this is why I know it's the right thing to do. Because often in those scenarios, if it goes wrong, you're out of a job. Absolutely. true, right? Absolutely. It's a great question. It, it came from me standing on the shoulders of giants. It wasn't, it wasn't my idea. Nothing that I ever teach is my idea. It's my delivery. It's, I, I like to think that I'm a, I'm a good disseminator of information. Hmm. All the information that I ever base it on is based on human psychology, usually great research. You know, I, I look back at people like Neil Rackham and the amount of research that he did putting together SpinSide and the evidence no base behind that. But I already knew that nobody buys the product. Now we're moving into a place where we can tell you all you like about how great it's going to be, but unless you, unless you say, you know what, that is going to be great. You're not going to, you're not going to invest. So I came, I came in with the belief that it doesn't matter what, what you're selling. If I, again, Ferraris, it's pretty easy to sell because you just put someone behind the wheel and drive it. But it's, it's not, it's the feeling they're getting when they test drive that car. That's probably that they're really buying. Mm. You can't test drive a three-day seminar with Tony Robbins. <laughs> so what we have to do is we have to get that. The hardest part for, for getting them to convince, get convincing 
um, Michael and Michael and, and Richard, who were the owners of the business at the time, uh, to, to trust me on that journey was that I, they, they had never tried it, so therefore they hadn't seen it. I kind of had to use the sales process that I was planning on using on them to get them mm. to recognize that what they didn't want was a lot of salespeople. They didn't want, they weren't attached to the size of the team. They were attached to not just how many tickets they sold today, but how they built their brand, about how they were perceived in the marketplace as as a partner in professional development, personal education. You know, that it was more valuable for them to to come to the to a place where they actually admitted, you know what? If I was if I was only to do the same amount of sales this year as I did last year, but my return rate went up, that my referral rate went up, that my customer satisfaction rate went up, that would be a much better place to play. And so yeah. by demonstrating that, this, I always say that you sell up as much as you sell out <laughs> when you're in that middle. What do you mode. mean by that? Well, if you're not the owner of the business, you're always going to be selling to the owner of the business. Gotcha. Yeah. Right. And I use exactly yeah. the same process when I'm selling to somebody, you know, as a client or a prospect, as I do when I'm doing a review with a staff member or when I'm trying to have a discussion about ways forward with uh, an owner of a business. Yeah. Uh, good sales is actually just good communication, right? Yeah. You're helping somebody else figure out how to make the right decision right? Um, you're, you're delivering information in a way that they can feel in control of their decision so that you don't create resistance. Like it's just good communication and it works wherever you're communicating. The yeah. goal yeah. of sales is never to trick someone. If you wouldn't use the same skills to help your child care more about learning at school, you shouldn't use it on somebody in a sales process. You should never be trying to trick anybody. Um, I'd, There's plenty of people who do trick people in this. You can trick Oh, there are for sure, in. yeah. You can, you can trick yeah. But you, it's the death of your business long-term because your complaints, your refunds, all of that reputational risk, it's, it's a nightmare. It's a short-term solution. And I recognize that some sales professionals will try and take, especially when they feel under pressure, they will, mm. un- when people are under pressure, they revert to their worst form and they won't afford people a decent sales process. They will make promises that won't be delivered on. They, that pressure can actually lead to detrimental results, which means that it's it's not just the salesperson's fault. What I always hear is that, oh, the salespeople, they're, they're saying this, they're saying that. And it's like, well, where's that coming from? <laughs> You, know? mm. you get to the end of a month that hasn't been a great month and the answer is the sales team should have worked harder like how many people have heard that before mm-hmm. and uh it's just lazy to be honest it's just lazy well if you're um, getting to the end of the month before you know where you are then it's also it's, <laughs> it's <laughs> i don't think i've ever been in a situation where i didn't know i was behind target in the lead up to the end of the month let's see how we did i'm i'm more than happy to sit here and say i have missed target many times in my career you will get sales people and you will get sales leaders that tell people that don't know better oh no i've never missed target. bullshit (laughs) that reminds me of the bernie madoff documentary okay but watching that bernie madoff he never lost money and ever i'm like suspicious (laughs) suspicious very suspicious yeah very suspicious have you only had a three-year-long career selling technology during covid times in that case maybe you never missed the target (laughs) (laughs) yeah hey you were you were saying you were talking before just like about people don't buy the product you know it is much more of a an emotional thing it's the outcome the emotional outcome that they get um you know you worked with some some people that <laughs> that would sell millions of dollars on the day from stage on pure fucking emotion. I mean, I know there's a, a line that gets used a lot in the sell from stage world, which is like peak of emotion. We're looking for them to be at their peak of emotion. Yeah. 
um, millions of dollars from stage. You know, what did you learn from people like Tony and Richard Branson and all these people? I mean, Tony's one of the, obviously one of the all-time masters of this about how to harness emotion to help people make decisions. What did you learn from people like that and that environment about how to do that? It's interesting that you asked that question because as, as much as I learned and I've learned fascinating stuff about how they sell one to many, what it also mm. taught me, if anything, was the differences and the important differences of selling one to one. So if, for example, if I'm standing on stage in front of a thousand potential buyers of my product, one of the, one of the challenges is I can only ask rhetorical questions. Mm, yep. I can't receive the answer. Particip participatory ones, like raise your hand if, uh, give me a hell yeah if. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So you almost have to cover every base. Mm. And when you're trying to create the perception of value, because remember, value is in the eye of the perceiver. You know, I, I always talk about the fact that, um, you remember the, the young gentleman who used to work with us at, um, at the conference company who used to turn up in, we had a, we had a, uh, uh, suit policy so you had to wear suits but he would yep. turn up in the morning and you had the scuttier suit like he got it from goodwill or he had yep. shoes yep. which were like his school shoes i think from when he graduated six years previous and yep. but he would turn up in these immaculate running shoes like the the really expensive limited edition shoes yep. look ridiculous and i would say like well how much do those cost it's like these ones are 850 i'm like what dollars like 100 <laughs> Eight, not eight dollars fifty, eight hundred and fifty dollars. Do you know how, what a nice suit you could get for that? And, but again, yep. it was it was about the didn't care about didn't care about a nice suit. Exactly, and I wouldn't care yep. about those runners. So, are they worth eight hundred and fifty? Of course they are, because he was prepared to pay for them. Yeah, right. So, it wasn't so a logical decision because logic would dictate that you would buy a good suit to work in. You spend all your time at work. You want to look good. You want to present well, et cetera, et cetera. It wasn't a logical way to think about it, but exactly. it rarely is. So as you, as you say, one of the things is you don't want to focus too much on what the actual thing is, that it's very much more about what are the outcomes. What are the, and demonstrating when you're selling one to many at this stage, one of the things I noticed was that they would recognize that if I'm if I if one of the features of my product is I don't know that it's a, it's a really technical solution which comes on a on a computer there might be people who are sitting there, there who are technophobes, and it's not necessarily that it's going to be so complicated that, that they can't use it but by trying to push what it is, I'm I'm potentially going to scare them off. So you mm. talk you talk more about outcomes. You talk more about the speed to success. You talk more mm. about that it's replicable that in fact the the technology means that you don't have to do the difficult stuff mm. and the and the problem that it solves like really really anchoring into the problem that they feel that is the reason why we need the thing exactly but as you mm. say no one's motivated to to buy in a room like that uh, unless they're emotionally ready to make that change so the i always watch there's, a, there's, there's lots of different, um, you, you understand these, but there's lots of different processes that you'll recognize when you watch enough people selling from stage. First one's the ETR, the end the right, which is their, why should you listen to me? Right? Yep. Because people buy from people they trust. The belief that people buy from people they like is nonsense. People buy from people they trust. It's very close, but think about it. You, know, you, know, you probably know yep. quite a lot of people who you like you wouldn't lend five grand to because they can't be trusted with money right they're still your friend yep. but you don't give them five grand because you know you'll never see it again whereas other people who are also your friends who you also like you know can be trusted to pay you back money if they needed to borrow it yeah and so trust and like together is the accelerant right the ultimate the accelerant it's perfect but focus on the right one so yeah. how do you get people to trust you so they have to do the backstory thing You'll notice that a lot of people will talk about their altruism, that they'll talk about something that's, they will open up to you about something that's close to their heart when they're selling from stage. It's nothing to do with the product you're about to, mm, to be offered, yep. but they're talking about who they are as a person. Because if people can relate to that, if they can relate to something in your situation, and it's, here's the interesting thing as well, it's aspirational as well. 
because there was the there was always the aspirational back sort of like we go a little bit back to even when tony first started like things like sales pursuit you know he used to wear the braces he used to demonstrate all the wealth that sort of 80s 90s sort of mm. asp- aspire to have the new york apartment aspire to drink champagne yeah. for breakfast pinstripe suit the white collar with the blue right. he was doing all that stuff back in the day wasn't he right but then aspirational nowadays is i aspire to be a better person yeah. So if you're seeing someone who's saying, look, I went through this process, I made my money doing these things, and now I can do all of these things for my community, for my family, for whoever, again, the person who's in the audience can start to relate to that in the sense that, oh, you know, if I went on this journey, I'd like to think I'm going to be the kind of person who would do good things too. And there's mm. that, it's that subtle shift where you're getting someone to buy into your journey to becoming their journey. Yeah, and as you say peak emotion is where you then you also show them the roadblocks and show them that the roadblocks that are in their way are of their own making. Now that's true of that's true of anyone. That there are very few situations where we have to we have to put up with them. You know, I always make lots of jokes about these little th- little things like on a Sunday I might be sitting around in the afternoon having a few drinks with some friends and I was like, oh, I've got to go to work tomorrow. Go, you know you don't. <laughs> <laughs> it is a choice. Right? It's a, it's a choice. You choose to go to work, but where, where's this dissatisfaction coming from? Why are you yeah. upset about that? You it's know, very be- different when it's a conscious when you're making a conscious decision. Decide, but there is an element of deciding to make a conscious decision. I'm going to consciously decide that I want to do this. You yeah. know, it's a little yeah. bit of um, someone said to me the other day, it's a little bit of self-gaslighting. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, this is all you. This is all you're good for. This is your place. Yeah. You know, yeah. Try something else. Um, but yeah. So so just to close that off as well. So again, the thing, the piece that I was really took from that, and especially this was really effective in in um, success resources, where we would the team. I moved the team from being a front end sales person because that was, that was the other thing with the 20 people that we had there, they were selling the front end tickets to get people in the room. And then we were making sales in the room from people who chose to buy from whatever, whether it was Tony or one of the other speakers. And that was it. After the event mm. the team went back to selling tickets to the next event. So you made the small, yep. small ticket price, the small value on, from this team of 20, and then it was buy or die at, at the event. There was no, hey, you came to this event. Now, I know you didn't make a decision, but is it fair to say you came looking to make a change? You know, let, I'd love to spend 10, 15 minutes just talking to you about what you really wanted to achieve from being there, to what extent we've, we've managed that. And then if there's something else I can do or offer you to help you on that journey, at the end, I'll be in a place where I recognize what's going to be right for you. Now, is that something you've spent mm-hmm. a bit of time with before? That wasn't happening. And that's where I moved the team to. So instead of being at the front end, especially, and it, it, look, the timing was great because digital marketing was really kicking off in those years as well. It was when Facebook advertising mm-hmm. really took off. So if you didn't need to be doing the front end selling, then let's focus more on having those relationships with people about and talking to them about what they were trying to get out of you then. And that was the, the key for me was the difference between what would, the way that we tried to offer the program or product or whatever it happened to be in the room compared to the conversation we had afterwards. Because I always just mm. say, if you try and sell this in the same way Tony just sold it and they didn't buy from him, why would they buy from you? <laughs> I'm sorry, but he's better at this than you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so Do you think that to- they just needed some time to think about it? They made a conscious decision to fight all of the things that were happening inside them to not buy in that moment. And now they're going to buy from you. What are you going to do different? Right. <laughs> so, so yes, a lot of the time. And, and of course there's so many people who've worked in sales for a long time and they've just worked in this environment where this is the way sales is done. I promote a product to you. And if you like it, or I can convince you that you can afford it or whatever, because I'm going to sell on price. What I consider ineffective selling, like I said, there's no right or wrong way to sell, but I just feel there's some, some people are really working themselves to the bone to get mediocre results. And it's not because the product's bad. It's not because they're bad people. It's not because their company's bad. It's just because their sales process doesn't really 
hone in on what is the psychology of the people I'm talking to and what are the things that are stopping them making this decision? How can I get them to reevaluate where they are? You know, it's, I always used to say, we used to offer a lot of stuff which was about being better with money. And I used to say mm-hmm. that if I could, I wanted to ring people up to offer them that product at 3 a.m. Because if you've ever got a problem with being bad at money, you've probably had that moment where it's 3 a.m., the house is pitch black, silent, there's nothing going on, and you're wide awake, and your brain's going, duh, 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 money, 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 right? And you've got all that worry and all that stress. Yep. Because there's nothing to distract your brain from that. In that moment. I thought you were going to say it's 3 a.m. and you're at the pub and your card declines for the round at the bar. <laughs> no. I mean, that's... That Not moment, that one? No, I mean the moment where you literally have nothing distracting you from focusing on your problem. Yeah. And you make, you know, you make, you're like, it's 3 a.m. I've got to get up tomorrow. I've got, I need to go to sleep. You make promises to yourself tomorrow. I'm definitely going to do something about this. And then what happens in the morning? You know, you've, you've overslept because you didn't have a good night's sleep. You're in a rush trying to get to work and life gets in the way. And we can only, our brains protect us from those, those issues. And if a problem is a, if a problem is a problem all the time, if it's, and I, I always use the visceral example of pain, which is toothache. If you've got a toothache, do you immediately book to see the dentist? Uh, it depends on how much it hurts, I suppose. Well, if you, if you get a toothache, what's the first thing you're probably going to do? Uh, I'm going to tell my wife that I should book into the dentist. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if you've got painkillers. Oh yeah, I'll reach out. Okay, I get where you're going. I'll reach out for a painkiller for sure. Yeah. yeah. So you take a painkiller. Let's say it goes away. Right. Mm-hmm. Great. A couple of days go by. Same toothache kicks in. Mm-hmm. Right? You take another. You take another paracetamol. Maybe two this time. And again, it goes away. But again, because it's not a constant problem, you're not. A, you're using just little band aids or paracetamol. Mm, yep. Something to try and mask mask the symptoms, not the. You're not investigating. Well, hey, where's this coming from? Do I have an abscess? Do you know what? Is this something mm. I should think about? Right. And this. And but if it was all the time, like you say, if 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 it hurt and hurt and hurt, and you can't go to sleep. You're ringing an emergency dentist. You're you're finding. Look at this. What's this problem? This is a real problem. But that's true of so many of the things that people need solutions for in life. Is that the actual problem? The 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 thing that the solution would help them with isn't there the whole time. It's, it's not manifesting the, the pain or all of the negative emotions that you want to attach to it all of the time. Because if it was, they, would be, they wouldn't be waiting for you to phone. They'd be out there on the internet finding a solution. They'd be out there setting their criteria for a solution. And, that's, and that criteria may end up being very different to what your solution is, which is... Yeah, really- and, and, and the truth is they are more and more as time goes by. Consumers are, like even the last few years the way people buy I think has moved further in that direction away from, you know, I've always said no one's waiting for you to call and you talked about that before, but like uh, I think that it's, uh, there were times where people were much more receptive to speaking to a salesperson prior to having the information that, that they needed Speaking to a salesperson as a way to learn about a product or a service in order to then do maybe some more research and make a decision. I think that's very much the opposite way now. People don't don't want to talk to a salesperson until they're pretty much ready. But even if they do, even if you approach them and talk to them about a problem, they're then probably going to go off on the internet and have a look at other Look at you. Look at alternatives. Look at you know social proof. There's there's a lot of research that people do these days. So it's really yes. important that if when you have that conversation with the person that you're not talking necessarily about the product or you you're getting to a place where you really listen to what what's their problem and getting them to recognize that yeah the pain of this problem might not be manifest right now. It'd be incredibly lucky if I was ringing you up to talk about uh, a, a new printer software at the moment that your printer's just exploded. You know, that would be incredibly fortuitous, but that's never the case. Mm. It's about trying to trying to get them to go on that journey with you where they recognize, yeah, this is something I keep putting up with. It's every Sunday I complain about the fact I've got to go to work tomorrow. But because tomorrow I'm at work, I don't think about 
making the plan to, to take action. And I actually believe a lot of, especially high level sales these days, are, they're not made in the moment. They're made mm. by getting people to, to very slowly recognize that what you're saying has value, that they, that they themselves have all these things. There's all these things they can deal with in their life or their business or their career. The reason they're not taking action on necessarily the most important things is because it's not the noisiest thing. It's not the thing that's front and center, but it might be the most valuable thing. You know, yeah. I recognize that when I go in consulting businesses now is that everyone's trying to pull every lever at the same time. Sales is broken. We need to fix this. We need to fix that. We need to fix the other. And it's actually identifying, okay, well, if we try and do that, the change management issues are going to be a nightmare. There's, we're unlikely to manage to do a good job of any of it. So why don't we identify the one thing that we'll start with that's going to make the biggest long-term impact, the, the thing that's going to set us up for being then able to, to make the other changes in order. Mm. And it's interesting how many times when you've actually gone through that, that review process with a business owner, that the thing that we all agree is the thing we should tackle first wasn't actually the thing that they thought was the most broken. Mm, yep. It's most people don't. And when I say most people, I don't know what the percentage is, but this is a very general statement. I think, I think a lot of people, the natural human tendency is to not stare directly into the sun, right? I don't want to look at my problem all the time. Uh, yeah. It's much easier to look at the moon. And so now I start to think that the moon is my problem because it's harder for me to maintain concentration and focus on the thing that actually really hurts me to look at. Yeah. Uh, and so they start to focus on other things and they think, oh, I've just got to fix that. Yeah. Um, I, I think you see that all the time. That's what I say. The noisiest thing tends to be the thing that it's a squeaky wheel gets the oil situation. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so Psychologically, that works. Yeah. 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 One of the things I've always admired with you, Ben, is the way that when you're dealing with sales as a leader compared to being a salesperson with um, sales teams specifically, is that you, you come from that sort of zero, assume nothing position and really focus in on how do I make their job easier? What can I do to improve, to, to improve their situation? And what are the things that you think are the most important coming out of that? Oh, I appreciate the uh, the interviewee becoming the interviewer. And uh, I appreciate you saying that. You know, it is something that I don't think I did a very good job of early on in my sales leadership career. Um, I think that early on, and this is, you know, just being brutally honest, I think early on I did a lot of my learning because I wanted to look like I knew what I was doing. Right. Uh, and so <laughs> in attempting to always be like at the forefront, figuring things out, et cetera, I've made a lot of frigging mistakes. And what I realized was that, um, that when the leader tries to be the star of the show, only one person can shine and if only one person can shine, you can only grow as far as you are willing to put in effort individually. And so, like, I learned some pretty harsh lessons. I was very lucky to have some amazing um, sales leadership, leadership in general, human mentors. Uh, someone that we both worked for is still a close friend and mentor of mine to this day, uh, um, Mr. Mike Adams. Uh and I think that, that that was a lesson that was hard earned, but just paid big dividends. Let Help people to be the best version of themselves. Um, help people to succeed. And ultimately, if you want to be in any position of leadership or have any opportunity to scale, you have to succeed through other people. You can't, you can't do it all by yourself. Yeah. I think when we, when we work together, Right, the first time we worked together, um, speaking of of Mike Adams, uh, I think we were very lucky that we were in an environment that was very sales process oriented. Mm -hmm. And you've talked about a bunch of stuff here that are about elements of sales process, 
right? And implementing sales processes and all of those sorts of things. Mm. And I know something that you personally believe is that if you don't understand why a sales process works, you and your business will never fully embrace it. Yeah. Is that something you can you can share a little bit more with us about? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, I don't think there's any shortcuts, but in the same way, and I, I'm, I know I use a lot of tired analogies, so forgive me, but the same way that you don't build a house without building the foundations, if you want that house to be there in a few years, it's the same when you're building a sales process. More importantly, it's when you're building a sales team, because if I'm... I'm working with a sales team right now uh, who work in the, uh, the Dalton House, the, um, the hospitality group. And their sales team have actually asked me some questions about, Rick, this is, this is sales training, right? I'm like, yeah. So why are we learning about parts of the brain? <laughs> because <laughs> because <laughs> I need you to understand. I can introduce a thing. I can introduce a principle. And I can tell you from the bottom of my heart that it works. But unless you believe in it, unless you can see the rationale behind it, unless you can understand, oh, yeah, I, I get that. I have that light bulb moment. Then you're never going to buy into it as wholeheartedly as I am. Mm. If you don't believe in what you're saying, then you will never come across as genuine. And people don't. People who aren't genuine. So I, I'm a big believer in first principles. Look, Sales psychology is just human psychology with a, a little hat on it. And then sales process should be based around the outcome. So it's, it's reverse engineering in the way that your sales process works. It's reverse engineering in the training as well. So, yeah, I do. I talk to people about the brain because I want them to understand. I want them to recognize in themselves that, yeah, that's, that's the way I emotionally react to a situation. And Thank you for, you know, now I understand that it's an evolutionary reason. You know, the reason that we all jump when we hear a loud noise, that's evolution, right? And the way that our brains have evolved and it's, it's involuntary. But what we don't recognize is there's so many decisions that we make in our lives, which we think are making with our conscious brain that are really not necessarily made by, but heavily influenced by our subconscious brain. Mm. And, it, you know, it's, it's anything as simple as the old, you know, uh, nobody likes to be sold to, but everyone likes to buy, right? The, the notion that, well, why is that? And people say, well, yeah, no one likes to be sold to. We know that because, like, don't like pushy salespeople. Yeah, but why? Why is that important? Where does that come from? They're, well, yeah. it's sales resistance. People don't like being, like, you don't want to be, like, told what to do. It's like, okay, great. That's right. It's in, in psychology, sales resistance is referred to as reactance, which is a more general term about that people, if you impinge upon people's freedom to make choices, they will push back. But where does that come from? You know, mm, yep. is that important to us as human beings? So I go all the way back to first principles in my training. So that, and then when you get people go, yeah, that's right. Then everything you build on top of that is is built with a, a really solid foundation. And there's so many times, I, it's one of the most rewarding things for me is, um, is when you're sitting doing training, I was recently did a, 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 a training session. I created a new sales process for uh, a, a professional services company who I, I went through the training with the team and all of the early work that we done on the sales psychology, they were literally saying, that's because of this later on when we were going yes. through the sales process. You know, and I'm letting them find their way to that because then it's them going on that journey. It's not me pushing them into say these things, ask these questions, they will work. It allows them to, to understand it from first principles. But what that also leads to is that you never ask a question that you can't justify asking. Mm, because you yep. know why you're asking that question. It's a, you know, oftentimes I, in some of my sales process, I'll ask a question, which is almost a, I call it an FU question because it's really challenging to the, to the person I'm, I'm, I'm trying to sell to. It's, it's suggesting that there's something that they're deficient in or something that's their fault or something that they should have done something about. And it's an important question to ask, but it's a scary question to ask. Mm. 
And that you'll get that pushback. That like, well, you know, why would you ask me that? So you have to be able yep. to just, you have to be able to explain to the client that the reason I'm asking you this is because these are the things you're telling me. And these are, and that's totally at odds to what you're telling me you want to achieve. And I'm just trying to understand where the disconnect is here. You know, so can we, I, I understand it's a difficult question to answer, but can we agree it's an important one to get an answer to, even if you're just getting the answer to for yourself? You know, being able to do that from first principles all the way through, it means that people don't have to follow a sales process anymore. It becomes a sales methodology. Mm, yes, yeah. there's, there's still the process. There's Muscle still memory. Steps. Exactly. And it means that, you know, you, how, how do you get good at swimming? Swimming. Yeah, right. You're not going to be Olympic gold class, you know, straight off the bat. But if you don't get in the pool, it doesn't matter how much you practice with your arms in the air, you're never going to get. In the <laughs> I read. I did read something once about uh, about a study they did where uh, there was a uh, a basketball team, and half the kids practiced free throws, and the other half of the kids thought about free throws, uh, and. I don't even remember what the result was, but I wanted the to bring it up. The result is it's, it's much improved if you've, if you've thought about Think it about something. it. I think that's what it was. Visualization piece. If, long, time, long time I read a bit. Yeah, but those kids had to know how to throw a basketball first. So, first, of course. <laughs> also the visualization thing. If it, I remember watching Sebastian Vettel on the grid once, waiting to start the Grand Prix. You know how many, many people there are like swarming around an F1 grid just before the all yep. And he's sitting there with his helmet on, his eyes closed, and you can see his hands just doing this. And he was literally visualizing going around the course. Yeah. Visualizing himself successfully hitting the apexes, knowing where his breaking points were. And that's fantastic. But he also spent 20 odd years becoming as good as he could at driving cars. Yeah. So Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there's there's a whole rabbit hole we could go down in terms of visualization. I know uh, there's a lot of the psychology aspects of of revenue generation that you and I both love, um, but we have only a little bit of time left. I want to ask you about two more things. Yes. One is um, I know you feel really passionately about the way that people talk about their jobs, particularly in the world of sales. Uh, we've talked about this a lot over the years. Um, feeling like sales is a dirty word. Uh, talk to me about that a little bit and what you kind of, you know, what your approach is to trying to make people feel like, uh, you know, feel good about what they're doing. Yeah, thanks. I mean, it actually was a Mike Adams piece. I remember when I, mm. Mike used to say to me, I make high, hugely successful sales teams and I show people a way to learn all they need to know about sales and make a, a decent amount of money while they're learning. And it was the fact that he was, he had this, he's, he's, his pride and his sense of um, professionalism about it. That was, it was something he was, he would tell you without you asking. Okay. <laughs> and I asked myself the question, because I'd been in that place where I like to hide behind a, a fuzzy title. Yeah, you know, the reality is that there's a lot of people out there who is who think that sales is a dirty word. They think it's a scary word. That you know, the the way that people oh, I don't like sales. I couldn't be in sales. Yeah. No. Well, the, you get that comes from all of the bad sales experiences that they've had in the past. Mm -hmm. When you if you try and cold call someone and they like, oh, I'm not a sales call. You know, leave me alone. They're not reacting to you. Uh, that that sense of oh no comes from every previous conversation that they've had which wasn't engaging that wasn't rewarding that didn't show them value right so but if you start listening to that you start believing that in yourself then again it's it's how good are you going to be at something you're not proud to do mm. so I want people to reevaluate that. I want you to be proud of being a salesperson, but not just because you're a sales professional, but because you're actually proud of what you achieve and you're proud of the fact that I'm different to other sales professionals. You know? Yeah. And the way I might be different is I'm taller. I don't know. But the, the way that I really differ is because I want to give you an experience that is, and that's, that's one of the ways that a point of differentiation. You can separate yourself from a very 
noisy marketplace by being the one who has a different sales process. By, I always say, and it's, it's sometimes at odds with some of the shareholders in the business, but I always say, I'd rather not make a sale and have someone be really impressed with the process that they, I took them through than trick people into buying. Yep. I'm the same. And, and I, I actually have pushed a lot in, in, in some previous stops and obviously right here at Trust the Process. The goal of the process for me is whether they buy from me or not, I want them to be better off than when they arrived with me, right? I want them to know more. I want them to feel more confident. I want them to be further along their decision-making journey. I want them to be closer to getting the outcome that they need and resolving the problems that they have. If they buy from me or not is irrelevant because when they have that experience, uh, well, ultimately they mostly end up buying from you. Uh, but, but I think, I think it really, I think it really matters in terms of, you know, what you were talking about there, people feel bad about sales because of what they perceive sales to, to be. The truth is that the best salespeople are actually not greedy, despite what the perception of the world of sales is. A lot of them are not that uh, money motivated, right? Some some are, and that's okay, uh, but a lot of them aren't. The very best salespeople that I that I know and have worked with over many years are the ones that take great pride in service and are curious. Yes, right. Those two things together, they really care about doing a good job for people. They really care about helping people. They really care about being of service, and they're curious to figure out how they can do that. Those people, I. I have so much time for, and uh, I wish I had more of them. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, let's just quickly finish that off as well. That I, again, the, the team I'm working with right now, they, there's uh, one of the team there who really engaged with the process of trying things, you know, take themselves out of their comfort zone, trying to ask different questions, trying to ask questions, actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good start. Right. Um, but the conversation they had, and it was with someone from KPMG, the conversation was like, you know what? We might not be a good fit for this event, but the conversation I've had with you has been so different and so much better than all of the other people I went to speak to. I've actually got another piece of business which is coming up in the new year, and I'm going to come to you first for that. Now, that for sure, yep. And seeing that sales professional get that piece of news, get that feedback, and seeing that the pride in what they had just done the process they've gone through. And, you know, it's not even about them winning that other piece of business, but it's the fact that the person has told them that what they did was valuable. That's when you have that sense of pride in what you do. And that's so why good. sales professionals. Is there any better moment as a salesperson? Actually, there's a mirror moment as a sales leader. Any better moment as a salesperson when you get not just the deal, but the great feedback? Like you were really valuable. You were really helpful. I think that's, that's a, such a, a cementing moment in the actions and activities that you're doing. And the mirrored version of it is when, uh, when you teach a salesperson how to do something as a sales leader and they do it and it works and they come to you beaming about yep. the thing that just happened is one of my all-time favorite moments. Definitely, definitely. I mean, it can go both ways. I'll actually argue that, you know, sometimes if you're doing a great job as a sales professional, you're not part of the process, right? Yeah. It's that yeah, whole yeah. thing. No one ever comes up to you and says, hey, look at what someone sold me. It's, yeah. Me. <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. Someone, but someone was involved in that sale. <laughs> someone was, whether, yep. you know, just a marketer or whether it was a sales professional, someone was involved in that sale. So sometimes you want to like the, the, you're just the oil that sort of helps the machinery go through. But yeah. definitely when people recognize you, it's, that's where that pride comes from. That's, that's pride. And again, for me, part of my journey as a sales leader has always been about what can I do to make this person as good as possible at, at their chosen profession. And a lot of that comes from them having a sense of pride in it. Yeah. What you said there about um, sometimes the customer won't notice you. You're like good. Good in sales is almost like a good referee. You kind of don't notice that they're there when it all goes right. Uh, that would be great. Saying that makes me feel like I know the answer to this next question, but I'm going to ask it because uh, I'm going to ask this to everybody. I want you know a major belief of mine is that the then I and I heard this at a very young age. I don't remember who the quotes from, but it was something I heard from my. Uh, 
from my dad is right. the biggest difference between where you are today and where you are tomorrow will be the people you surround yourself with and the books that you read. Uh, mm. And as you know, I'm an avid reader. And so uh, mm. my question is, what's the book? What's the book that you remember that had the biggest impact on your career? Um, it's very easy for me because it was foundational and it was influenced by Cialdini. Um, Bob Cialdini yeah. was the first time I was given a book, which I thought was a sales book. And I realized he's not a salesman. He's a psychologist. Mm, yep. It was, and he put himself into sales jobs to understand, you know, he went and took the training sessions for door to door selling and things like this, but yep. he came at it as with the, 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 it was the first time I'd really understood that human psychology was a vital element of the art of selling. Uh, it's an absolute gem. Anyone out there that hasn't read it, you absolutely must, whether you are in sales, marketing, business in general, you want to learn how to communicate with better with people better and help them to make good decisions. It is an absolute ripper. Uh, the follow-on book, Persuasion, is also absolutely excellent. And I know they've done some updated versions of Influence in the last couple of years as well. Um, Rick, I... I'm always uh, having the best time when I get to spend time with you and talk about, uh, you know, whether it's talking about life like we talked about earlier or whether it's talking about business, uh, it's always a great time for me. You're a very good friend of mine and uh, I'm so glad we were able to have you on the podcast and I'm sure we'll see you back on here at some point in the future. Absolutely. Anytime. Uh, I'm, I'm really proud of the work that you're doing as well, the way that you're helping businesses be more than they, they think even they can be. Um, it's, it's, it's great work and, yeah, all power to you, brother. I know you, want, you won't necessarily do it yourself, but I'll do it for you. Anybody that wants to talk to Rick, reach out to him on LinkedIn. That's the best place, the place where uh, you're most likely to get a quick response. Uh, Rick's always happy me? to talk to people. If you want to email, email, what's the email? It's just rick at salesx.com.au. Perfect. Well, there you go. So now people know how to get in touch with you. It's been a pleasure, my friend. We will talk very soon. Thanks, like man. probably tomorrow or something. <laughs> <laughs> See you, mate. <laughs>